It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. This is Stretch, and uh, Gerald is running a little bit late, so T-Bird is going to carry the weight here. And uh, we're with James Cripp. Okay, T-Bird. Hi, everyone. Today we have James James Cripps, who won his claim for Agent Orange exposure inside the continental United States. Uh, James was a game warden, I believe, at Fort Garden, Georgia, where he sprayed for foliage, I guess, and something in an area that was designed to be very similar to Vietnam. And uh, James, I want to thank you for ha- having you on the show today, and I want to, again, congratulate you on your win. Please tell us a little bit about your claim and how you got here. Well, uh, as you say, I was a game warden at Fort Gordon, Georgia in 1968, 1969. Um, part of my duties as a game warden was to uh, defoliate um a large area that contained 14 fishing lakes. That area was a, a pristine area. It was used by a lot of visiting officers, um, a lot of uh, political people and, and prominent people from Augusta, Georgia, and it had to be maintained in a certain way, um, you know, to reflect uh, uh, the MWR or, or, or the recreation program at Fort Gordon, Georgia, which is big, was big at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was I was given a sprayer, um, and it was explained to me that you you uh, mix out of the drums. They were 55 gallon drums sitting in the forestry shed. You mix out of those drums uh, five to one with diesel fuel. Uh, later, I found out that was 50 to 1, uh, but we were using 5 to 1. Uh, so I, uh, my my two vehicles that I were, were, was assigned was a M151A1 Jeep uh, and a Ford Bronco. There's no way you can haul a 55-gallon drum in either one of those vehicles. Uh, the lakes were probably, I'm going to say six or seven miles from the forestry sheds. So I would take my sprayer over there and five-gallon cans and fill those five-gallon cans and and dilute them with diesel, uh, five to one, put them in the back of my Bronco. The sprayer pretty well stayed in my Bronco all the time. The (laughs) five-gallon drums I put in a shed uh, that was inside the control lake area, and I would periodically refill my sprayer uh, out of the already mixed 5-to-1 ratio to diesel uh, herbicides. And I opened the the control lake area about 4 in the morning. On the way to open those lakes, I always picked up two detail men from the Signal Corps they were different men every day. Uh, the first one I dropped off at the entrance to the lakes and uh, showed him how to how to, to count the fish, how to measure the fish, weigh the fish. Um, the second man I dropped off at my office to, to answer the phone, uh, check in hunters during hunting season. Uh, around the scales and around the... Uh, chicken area for the fish uh, in the Georgia heat always attracted insects. Um, it didn't take me long if I used to figure out that if I used my sprayer around those areas where the fish slime was, there wouldn't be any insects. Uh, so I would, I would drop my detail man off before daylight and then drop the second man off at my office, show him his routine travel back to the lakes and do my defoliation just at the crack of dawn before the fishermen came in. Right. I didn't want to be defoliating around picnic tables and restrooms and fishing trails and 
along the roads while fishermen were present. Uh, it wasn't that I thought that what I was using was a dangerous chemical. It's just not polite to be spraying around people when, when that stuff's blowing around in the air. Um, often, so, so as far as you knew, it was not dangerous to humans, what you oh, were spraying. No, no, they wouldn't tell me to use anything dangerous to humans. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly believe that. I actually kept a... Uh, one of the little hand sprayers, uh, I know you remember them, T-Bird, uh, they had a plunger and a round body on the front. Yeah, uh, fly sprayers, fly sprayers what we called them. Yeah. I kept one on my desk in the office, uh, and I would spray in my office for flies. Oh, good Lord. Uh, and we only had one, one uh, uh, herbicide which I say made a real good insecticide. We had insecticides, but there was no need for those insecticides. The herbicide, you know, just use one product. That's all we all we used. Right. But uh, on my way out of the Control Lake area, I always stopped by and I did that detail man a favor. I sprayed around his area and around the scales uh, and the fish cleaning areas so Insects wouldn't bother him all day. Right. Um, and I think about that often. I think about, you know, where are those men today? What happened to them? Well, maybe, I mean, you the uh, your win did make the news. And there is a lot about Fort Garden on the Internet. And hopefully they will have seen it. If you had not done what you did, there would be no way for them to know about it. So instead of feeling bad about what you did, I think you should feel proud and good about what you accomplished when you found out, which was, according to you, a long five-year hard battle where you got connected for type 2 diabetes mellitus, uh, chloriacne, uh, coronary artery disease from your diabetes. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, at the, how... at the time, uh, coronary artery disease wasn't a standalone issue. It had to be service-connected secondary, yes. Right. And so tell me, uh, who did you... When you filed your claim, did you do it alone? Did you do it with a service officer? Did you? When I originally filed the claim, I went to the VA hospital one morning. I had an appointment. Um, I got to talking to a fellow sitting there, and he, and he mentioned filing a claim. Um, I didn't know anything about that, and he told me in, in room 118 there was a lady down there that I needed to talk to, so I went down there and I talked to her. Uh, and I explained that uh, I had a, a skin disease, a real bad skin disease. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm at the time I was 57 years old, I think, and I still had real, real bad acne, uh, about the worst case I've ever seen, I guess. Yeah. And uh, she encouraged me to file a claim on that. Um uh, had she not, I probably wouldn't would never have filed a claim. But when she filed my claim, there was one question on there: Were you ever exposed to Agent Orange in your military service? And I checked no. Mm -hmm. uh, gosh, I thought I was halfway around the world from from Agent Orange. Right, sure. Never had never did even hear of it until I would say mid eighties. Uh, when, when probably the, thought you dodged a bullet when you did hear of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I felt really lucky that I wasn't part of that mess, you know, yeah. the lawsuit against the chemical companies and the, and the, and to tell you the truth, back then when I first heard of thought heard of that, I thought, yeah, this is a bunch of guys wanting something for nothing. Uh, uh, you yeah. know, I didn't I didn't understand it. Stand I didn't. It. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, so she so she filed the claim for you. Was she uh, with the one of the service organizations then? She was with the Tennessee Department of Veterans Affairs, and my original claim uh, was for the skin disease. Right. 
And uh, they denied me. How uh, long did that take, do you remember? It took about, uh, I think, about a year and a half to finally deny me. Um, I had two issues. It was the skin disease. Uh, and when I was in basic training my second day there, I think, we were standing in line to get our, our shots. And somebody started up a lawnmower across the street, and it threw a rock and hit me in the eye. The rock went in my eye, over my eye. Uh, ball and down in my head uh, took me 30 minutes I guess to ever make the drill sergeant realize that something was in my eye something was wrong with my eye and then he called a taxi cab and we picked up people and dropped people off on the way to the hospital and got finally got to the hospital and, and they did the x-ray and they said man you got a rock in your head so they were fixing to take it out. They were getting all their instruments on the table, and, and, and my head popped, and the rock fell out of my eye. It, it was uh, about the size of a uh, white bean. And mm -hmm. on my medical record of that day, it, it describes that rock as a four-millimeter opaque object. Well, they turned it down at the VA because they said the record shows there was nothing in your eye. Uh, that if there was, fell out, if, there was if there was in nothing your in your eye, I don't see how they could describe it as a four millimeter opaque object. But then they denied my Agent Orange exposure or my herbicide exposure because they said you said you were a game warden. The record shows that you were an MP. Uh, I got to thinking if I could describe that herbicide, if I knew what that herbicide was. You know, maybe that would help me out. So I got on the Internet and I typed in Fort Gordon, Georgia, and herbicide. And lo and behold, it came up that on May the 9th, 2003, Congressman Lane Evans wrote Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld at that time a letter demanding to know where outside of Vietnam Agent Orange had been used, tested, or stored. Fort Gordon was second on the list. I knew exactly at that point what happened to me. I, I could put it together. Uh, and in the in that time between I, the time I filed the claim and and they actually denied me, I was diagnosed with the diabetes uh, and had suffered a heart attack. So uh, with that clue, uh, reading that Fort Gordon had been used at, at I mean, uh, Agent Orange had been used at Fort Gordon, and it was described as Agent Orange, Agent Blue, and Agent White. Um, right. Then I wrote a statement in support of veterans' claim on, on 4138 and sent it to, to the VA and said, I want to further define my claim. I don't want to change my claim. I want to further support it and 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 tell you at this point that I was exposed to Agent Orange and sent them a, a copy of that uh, report. Um, and from then, it, it was really a battle. DOD's position was, Mr. Cripps, we have never, ever sprayed tactical herbicides inside the continental United States. Uh, so from there, it just uh, it was a matter of proving. You know, I had to get in the car. I had to drive to Fort Gordon. I had to find the evidence. Had I not actually gotten in a car and made that trip, which I couldn't afford, uh, right? it took every, every dime I had to make that trip. Uh, and I you weren't healthy. To, I didn't hear you. I said, and you weren't healthy either, right? I didn't feel like it. I wasn't healthy. Um, I didn't know that I would find anything. Uh, but the main reason I went down to Fort Gordon that day, the general that I, I drove for, I drove for the deputy commanding general, on the day he retired, he had me assigned as a game warden. Uh, he took care of all of his people. I knew he retired at Fort Gordon, and I needed a statement from that man saying that he had me appointed game warden. 
Uh, I never did find him. When we drove on to the post that day, it was straight up and down noon, and I told my wife, I said, you know, nobody does anything at noon. Everybody's at lunch. No use in us going anywhere. There's a snack bar over there. Let's get something to eat. So I stood in line behind this guy in fatigues, and he turned around and he said, are you a retiree? I was wearing a veteran's cap. I said, yep. uh, no, I'm not. He said, uh, you're just visiting. I said, yes. He said, business or pleasure? I said, a little of both. So we got to talking, and I was telling him about my case and, and what I was after. I was looking proof for proof that I was a game warden and, and various things there at Fort Gordon. So when we got to the head of the line, he turned around and he said, uh, when you get finished, go up those stairs. There'll be a lady on the right-hand side, first office. She'll have what you need. And hmm. he, it, that just kind of took me back. And I said, and who are you? And he turned around at that time, and he had a bird on his uh, oh. on the front where they were their rank. Now he said, "I'm the post commandant." So after we got finished eating, I went up there, and the, the adjutant was was up there, the adjutant general uh, in in that office. And I told her, I said, uh, I had a conversation with the post commandant, and he said you would have something for me. She said, I'll have that for you typed up first thing in the morning if you'll stop by and pick it up. I said, I'll do that. I had no idea what she was going to have for me. But uh, I didn't know who she was. I said, would you have that fellow in there sign that when you get finished with it? She said, why? I'm the adjutant general. (laughs) 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 I couldn't believe that. But... uh, the next day I did stop by and I picked that up and it uh she wrote me a statement but and and I did give her evidence that day circumstantial evidence uh to support my claim I gave her my hunting and fishing license from dated 1968 from Fort Gordon I gave her my wife's hunting and fishing license I gave her my driver's military driver's license that showed I drove, I qualified to drive the Bronco. There were only two on post, and they belonged to game wardens. I showed her my deputy sheriff's card where they had appointed me deputy sheriff of Augusta and Richmond County, Georgia, so I could pursue civilians off post. Uh, I just left her that packet, and the next day she wrote, uh, a statement in support of my claim that beyond MP, there was no uh, further uh, skill identifier for the job of MP. So game warden would have been consistent with my job as an MP game warden. She also wrote during her that uh, based on her 30 years of experience in military personnel, I would have been the game warden in the years 1968-69 at Fort Gordon, Georgia. Um, that's That that was very probative in my claim. Uh, while I was there, I also got a statement from the present-day game warden, which the VA told me I was lying, that, that uh, the military game wardens uh, were actually civilians. The military didn't have game wardens. While I was there, I took a picture of the game warden in his truck, backed into his parking place at the port at the uh, provost marshal's office, and the sign, it was like a handicap sign, except it said, military game wardens only, parking. Um, then I went out, and, I, and I, my office used to be across the road from the Forester. I went out there, and my office had been destroyed. It had been torn down. But I ran into the Forester. And that Forester happened to be around down there. He wasn't the Forester at that time. Just a couple of years later, he took over as a Forester. But he was there. And he he remembered, uh, and he said, 
you know, Mr. Cripps, you're talking about those those herbicides that you you used down on the control lake area. He said, I know it would have been your job to have done the defoliation inside those control lakes areas. I said, would you write me a statement to that effect? He said, sure. So right there on the hood of his truck, he uh, he printed it out on a 4138 uh, that he knew it would have been my job to have spread those herbicides. Right. And he handed me the clipboard back, and he said, you know, in the mid-'80s, we discovered that stash of herbicides that you're talking about in a building on, he said, in a shack on Little Smoke Lake. And it was actually an uh, environmental cleanup area. Huh. And I said, yes, you know, I can show you where the building was. Uh, he said, yeah, I cut the lock off the building that day. He said, no, evidently nobody ever had went in there. And I said, yes. I said, you know, I, I had uh, salt blocks in there. Uh-huh. I had herbicides in there. I had insecticides in there. Uh, I had fungicides in there that we used in the lake. I had five-gallon cans. My sprayer was in there. There were rakes, hoes, and shovels. He said, yes, just as you're, you're describing. And I said, as far as the lock, it had a railroad lock on it. He said, yeah, I cut a railroad lock off of it. I said, I've still got the key. Uh, that's something. So, you know, uh, that that was mighty powerful. I said, would you write me a statement to that effect? And he added on to the statement that he had already written that they actually found that stash of herbicides of which I was speaking. Um, And gosh, together with with the DOD's uh, concession that they had sprayed uh, (coughs) me from the air while I was spraying on the ground, it was pretty well proof positive. You know, somewhere, I would say, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Right. Well, you know, somebody was taking good care of you that day that you happened to be standing in that line behind that one guy. You better believe it. You know, if all had there been one person between me and him, our conversation would have never taken place. Had I That's been just I... a few seconds later getting in that building or him a few seconds earlier. Right. You know, what are the chances? What are, Right. What are the odds? Uh, but I and knew... And so uh, you, support, you sent that evidence in, and then how long before the next thing happened? Well, it was denied again. And how long did that take? Oh, another year or so. Uh, so you sent in those statements from the adjutant admiral and uh, uh, Forrester. Yes. And they denied it again. Yes. Uh, and then what you, happened? You weren't in Vietnam. You weren't you in know, Vietnam. You know, it was simple as that. You were not in Vietnam. Right. Oh, um, so I appealed, and I never did quit quit working on it. I kept gathering evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then I got to to thinking. One, you know, you just, you just run out of evidence because for five years it was sitting at the computer all night long, uh, just trying to think of the next step. Where do I go from here? And I was sitting there one night, and I always looked at this claim as, you know, I would cup my hands. And I would see if I could see any holes where light or air could escape. Well, I understand that exactly. And I and I'm thinking, you know, there's a little crack here. I've got to put a band-aid on that. I got I got to patch that. Right. Uh, the DoD did their spraying July the 15th through the 17th um, in 1967. I didn't arrive on the post until September. Mm-hmm. So somehow I had to prove that those herbicides would have still been there and in the ground when I got there, when I arrived on post. And I got to thinking, I'm going to email the top five uh, professors across the United States in the environmental labs. 
So I got on the Internet, and I found out who they were, uh, and I did email them, and I got one report back from a Dr. Schechner, and he's the foremost Agent Orange expert both in Vietnam and the United States. And he wrote a statement for me that that's all he did, that's all he ever did. He was the foremost authority. Uh, He spends half his time in Vietnam and half his time in the United States. And he said that would have been in the ground for 100 years. So there's no question it was there. Um, Then I I got a phone call from a lady, and she said, I'm with the CDC in Atlanta, Georgia. And I know about your case. I've read your email. I have no idea where she got my email. And she said, you know, my father just died of Agent Orange-related diseases, and he never got anything. I'm going to help you. Uh. And she did. The most wonderful statement. Uh, She had me send her all the evidence that I had. Uh, she wanted to read it. She wanted to 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 make sure that she was right. You know, she was putting her reputation on the line for me. Right. But I got the most wonderful statement from her, and she the rationale was just perfect. You know, there has to be a good rationale. They can't come out of this uh, out of thin air with these. Uh, with just what they think. It has to be professional, and she knew just exactly how to do that. Right, and sometimes you can say the same thing, uh, but uh, it has to be said in a, in a certain sort of way. It does. Oh. Uh, there's a certain, you know, this is a, a claim, and, you know, uh, so, and, you know, Maybe it's just the way it is. It just is what it is. It, you can say be. the same, right? You could say the same thing in the paragraph, in two different paragraphs, and one paragraph will get you a denial or a remand, and another paragraph will get you to the next step. Well, at that point, um, they denied me again. They sent me a statement of the case, and the statement of the case contained another veteran's personal information and evidence. <laughs> they based my claim and denied my claim partially on another veteran's evidence. Oh, my God. So I talked to my Congress person. Um, she reviewed it, and she said, if they're smart... They'll just give you your claim and not question anything. But rather than do that, that that just made the VA more belligerent. Uh, they they threatened to send somebody down here to get that evidence. I had copies of it. Right. Uh, I got it in my C file, and I threatened them that they better not come and get it. Uh, and at How that time, in my frame of it? mind, there was no way they were going to get that evidence. Uh, so the next thing they did, and, and I contacted uh, the local media. And the local media uh, did a story on me. And it, it's Channel 5 News reports. I'm sure you've seen it. it it's available. Uh, yes. Uh, actually, James, let me just say that in the uh, vet being Veterans Podcast Forum, uh-huh. I have your entire VVA case under the topic James Cripps, and uh, I also have a link to that article, which is a three-part article. So for people who I, want to read more, that's available to them on the forum. Well, what? Hey, Bert, can I interject? It's Bert Berta. Oh. Uh, And James, uh, this is a fabulous story, and we've discussed your claim before, and I'm I'm so glad you're back. Uh, But one of the uh, postings has the wrong phone number, and uh, I almost didn't get through until it hit me. And I just put the right phone number, claims research, and I put it earlier in the SBR. I mean, in the veteran to veteran show topic. Oh, thanks for letting us know that. Yeah, yeah. We have it. We have another problem here. The 
program's running out, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to extend it. Oh, so, we have uh, an hour. I, I hope I don't lose you guys. She says 10 seconds, but we'll see. Oh. James, I'm so glad you called up. Oh, I'm, James, I'm, I'm glad, to be glad you called up, too. And please uh, don't hang up the phone if we do run out of time because we can just start another show. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm so you want to just go ahead and continue? Yeah, go ahead and continue. So, Berta, I'm going to... We're still on the air. I'm going to correct that phone number. We're still on the air, by the way. Okay. Now, Berta, did you want to... Did you just want to bring that up, or did you have another question for James? Uh, Well, just really a statement, uh, T-Bird. James' story is one of uh, a lot of belief in himself, a lot of persistence fabulous detective work, a lot of serendipity, you know, like standing in line with someone who could help him. Oh, and, I know. Uh, that was... uh, it, it, it's just fabulous. And it, it was a direct service-connected <coughs> claim. This was not presumptive. And direct SC for AO is very difficult. But it can be done. And I, as, as I mentioned on the board, uh, we had an, uh, a McClellan veteran. I, I would think uh, it, due to... Uh, in great part to uh, knowing of James' story, uh, he ha- was awarded for Agent Orange. And there have been, I think, a few other awards. But I just want to make one comment. I never gave it a thought that maybe veterans should carry blank 4138s around with them because, James, you had them put their <laughs> statement right on the 4138 and find it. And uh, I yeah, I carried a clipboard with 4138s on it. Well, Always yeah, well, fabulous. You know, I think that is a brilliant idea. If you're going, uh, or just, you know, if you're going on search of evidence for your claim, just print out a bunch of those forms and stick them in a envelope and put it in your car. So no matter where you are, you have it with you. If you have an iPad, you can do it that way, too. I always had 4138. Yeah. Wow. I never yeah, and, you know, your resilience and your looking at it through, you know, like I visualize like a cube, a square, and then I visualize holding it up in my head and saying, well, it's obvious these four sides are obvious, but what are other ways to get in here? Yeah. You know. Looking for and, weak points. <laughs> yeah, looking for weak points, you know, and... uh Boy. And it's uh, just a damn shame that, you know, you had to go through all those denials and gather all that evidence yourself when you're a sick man to begin with. And and I imagine that by now the stress of doing the claim was really weighing heavily on you. Five days after I got my decision that I had won the claim, I went down and filed a claim for uh, severe anxiety and depression. Inside of 90 days, I won that claim at 30%. Yeah. But um, when I I interviewed for the Channel 5 News thing, I had made the regional office so mad at me. This became personal. Oh. I believe you, James. Yeah, it became personal between me and the service center manager and several other people at the regional office. Um, I've interviewed with Channel 5. Just a few days later, I got a letter that they were garnishing my Social Security disability check for $278 a month. Um, And I couldn't do anything about it. It was for uh, medica- uh, medication copays that I couldn't I couldn't pay them. There were twenty four of them. Right. Um, so it came out on on Channel Five News that they were garnishing me. <coughs> no matter the legalities of of whether they could or couldn't, they it were was just it wasn't a humanitarian thing to do. No. Um, as a result of that Channel 5 show, they 
they stopped that uh, garnishment. And when I eventually won, they had to give me my money back. But uh, oh, sure, were they co-pays for the service-connected disabilities? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they had to give it back. Yeah, yeah they had to give it after all, all back. That, uh, after all that, they had to give it back. And then and, and the uh, service center manager at that time, he called me one morning, 7 o'clock in the morning. I was in bed. He said, I just wanted you to know, Mr. Cripps, I stayed up all night going over your claim. Uh, I had no choice. I got a call from the Secretary of Department of Veterans Affairs, and I got a letter from the President of the United States. I said, wow. Well, good. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I would see him at, at public speaking, operation stand-down, things like that, and our eyes would meet. Uh, and just as soon as he finished, he disappeared. He didn't want to run into me, but I was at the regional office one day. I walked up to the door. I came from one direction. He came from another. And we both reached for that door handle at the same time. And he said, Mr. Cripps, I know you've been wanting to see me. I'm going to tell my secretary I'll see you any time you want to meet. You just make the appointment she already knows. But uh, when I when I won my claim, he lost his job, and so did, did the one under him. I don't know if it was coincidence. I would like to think that I had something to do with it because that, that became like a personal... James, what I like about it is you beat an assumption based on prior assumptions that they made by uh, saying you have a foot on the ground. I'm not sure I understand all of that, but <laughs> well, whenever they whenever they they mentioned Vietnam and one of your denials, you know that you weren't in, that you didn't have a foot on the ground there, you know as a as an excuse for denying your claim, and you beat it. Yeah. Uh... That was, I got so sick and tired of hearing that, Mr. Cripps, when were you in Vietnam? Right. Yep. Um, Yeah, because what they said, I think what Stretch is saying is, they looked at the claim, they looked at your service, they said, no Vietnam, no claim, and then they denied it and sent it back to you. And then then that just, that presumption went on, and who knows if everybody was reading the evidence. Agent Orange... Not in Vietnam, no claim. Uh, that's the way it was. Right, yep. yeah. Uh, and you mentioned the Fort McClellan claim. Yes, I put that claim together. Um, the man lives, uh, well, it's Mr. Ray Cobb. Everybody knows who he is. He's been on your show. Um, he emailed me. I had been in touch with him back and forth uh and he emailed me and told me he had a hearing coming up. And I played devil's advocate in his claim. And uh, he had two weeks to patch up all of those holes. And, man, I mean, he put it in gear. He did what was necessary. I attended his hearing. And you're talking about direct a direct exposure claim. I knew that all along, and that's what my claim was. We worked with a... Tennessee Department of Veterans Affairs service officer in his claim. And when we went in and sat down, the judge said, so I understand that Mr. Cobb <laughs> is is trying to win a presumptive claim at Fort McClellan, Alabama. And the service officer said yes. Well, I was sitting directly behind him, and I kicked his chair. And the judge said, okay, so let me make sure here. What I understand is is, is Mr. Cobb is trying to win a presumptive claim for Agent Orange exposure at Fort McClellan, Georgia. And he said, yes, and I kicked his chair again. Uh, finally, they gave me a chance to speak before they, they actually started the recording and the hearing, and the judge said, do you have anything you want to say? And I said, yes, I've got two points I want to bring out. I said, "This we, we came prepared to uh, 
show the likelihood of exposure on a direct exposure basis, not presumptive. We can't win on a presumptive because there is no presumptive exposure at Fort McClellan, Alabama. The judge looked at me, and he wadded up the piece of paper off the tablet that he was working on and threw it in the trash can, and he said, thank you. <laughs> I the other point that I want to bring out, and I picked up my CFR, and I started reading um, the benefit of doubt rule. But what right. I wanted to emphasize was the benefit of the, the doubt applied when there, even though there weren't any records. And when I started reading that, he said, young man, if you're going to read me the benefit of the doubt rule, I'm going to throw you plumb out of this room. So he kind of cut me off. <laughs> but I did, get my, I did get my point across about the direct exposure. Um, and that's what it's got to be. If you claim presumptive and there is no presumptive, and, and, and there is no presumptive outside of Vietnam and Korea, 68 uh, through 71, you're going to lose your claim. It's got right. to be on a direct exposure basis. You have to show the where, the how, the when, uh, and if you can't do that, you just can't win it. It's got to be on a direct exposure claim. That's how Kirk did it in Thailand. Kirk uh, Priestman, he's our first uh, AO Thailand back. He's been on the air, too. And, of course, you know who he is, James. Yes, direct, yes. You're right, direct exposure. That's what he... <laughs> and help oh. a lot of that. Well, well, they've got Thailand veteran regulations today and directed because of his work. At this time, there have been five cases won in the continental United States. Wow. Four of those cases I put together. The fifth case, uh, he was actually a game warden at Fort Chaffee. And uh, I've never talked to him. I don't know him. But the other four cases I put together, uh, I'm working on one now. The, the just went to the judge uh, week before last, and it's uh, a sole survivor of a Thailand uh, uh, Thailand vet. It'll be the first type of its case to ever be won, and I um, I feel good about that one. I think we're going to win that one. And then I'm working on another one, a veteran out of Florida with Parkinson's disease uh, service at Fort Gordon, Georgia. Oh, oh that's wonderful, James. Is that a, did you say sole survivor? Sole survivor, okay. or sole surviving spouse in Thailand. Oh, for spouse. Oh. Thailand, yes. Oh, okay. I don't think there's ever been a case in Thailand awarded uh, due to Agent Orange exposure to a spouse. After after the veteran was deceased, uh, James. Yes. Oh, there's Cheryl. Yeah, I've been sitting here. Uh, finally made it due to circumstances. <laughs> but it, at any way, James. Now they have added since Fort McCallion, and, and you, you know, you were successful in your claim. They have added other U.S. posts, uh, uh, and uh, there's a list of those, aren't they? There is a list of them. Uh, one of the big things about the Fort McClellan case, Fort Gordon comparatively was easy because Fort Gordon was on that list uh, that was admitted by Donald Rumsfeld. But Donald Rumsfeld, when he sent that, he had a deadline to send that list to uh, Congressman Evans. I think it was September 25th deadline. Uh, he said this list is 80, 85% complete. <coughs> and he promised to finish that list, and he never did. Well, Fort McClellan is not on that list. But my argument to the judge that day was had... Donald Rumsfeld completed that list that was only 85% complete, would Fort McClellan then have been on the list? We raised a doubt. Uh, and it may be a good thing he didn't complete the list. Uh, you may be right there. Yeah, uh, that, that leaves it wide open. 
because it does open the door to allow, and of course, uh, I'm sure we um, we all would agree that uh, Agent Orange was used more than likely on about every post in, in the U.S. at one time or another, and uh, uh, being able to directly uh, associate it. Uh, you know, with with your exposure issues, uh, can be quite difficult. Uh, I mean, if they're going to run across, if 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 uh, your particular installation you're trying to claim on is not on some list, uh, then uh, as, you know, as you mentioned, you have a rough road to hoe. I, I tell you, Gerald, this has never ever been used. But it could be used. If you were on a military installation in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, and a train track ran through that installation, which I don't think uh, back then there just were none. Uh, you know, rail business was huge back in, the, in that era. Train tracks ran through. That's how they get their supplies. Then tactical herbicides were used on those railroad tracks because that's what the railroad used to defoliate their tracks. If uh, no, if if everything else falls through, that's provable. I've never went after it, and I've never used it, and I don't know anybody that has. But people who worked for the railroad back then could substantiate that. They periodically sprayed those tracks, uh, and that's anywhere a train went. Well, wouldn't that hold true also to power lines, uh, uh, James? I know I lived out here in the country. That's where I grew up. But uh, every year or every two years or, or so, they would come through and spray all around these power lines to keep the brush from growing up into them. Well, power lines were sprayed back then, too. Yeah, and I, I remember that defoliation. But the problem is, what defoliant did they use? Right. They have to be able to prove the defoliant they used. Because they used defoliants everywhere all over. For some reason, when when Donald Rumsfeld released the places outside of Vietnam that, that, that Agent Orange was actually used, he mentions on that list of 52 posts and bases, he mentions TVA power lines, Tennessee Valley Authority power lines in Georgia mm. and Tennessee. And he gives the agent, which was orange, that was used on those power lines. Mm. Wow, that's powerful. Look on the that's list. Powerful. It's on there. It's on yeah, there. The, the list should be at Hattie. I remember posting it many times. Yeah, yeah. It's well, on, that's it's the on the list. Uh, now, yeah. that, uh, just uh, so I can take care of a little business here. Uh, James, after we get done with the show today... If you uh, you're a member of the forum, uh, yes. If you could just private message me, uh, uh, because I have some ideas on ways we can get some of this documentation up onto the website, so that it'll be available not only for us but for the next generation. Right. Because we don't know how long this is going to go on. We don't know if in 50 years we're going to discover that every third generation of kids whose one of their parents were exposed to this herbicide has some odd thing go on with their body. Yeah. Well, see, we didn't have a child for the first 10 years of our marriage, and we wanted to have one before we got out of service, uh, particularly because Uncle Sam would have paid for it. Right. But um, we had a child finally after 10 years of trying, you know, look at the half-life of Agent Orange. Yeah. Eight and a half years yeah. in, in, a, in a human body. 
And then my daughter came down with a, a rare blood disease, uh, almost died. But, you know, I was thinking about where am I going to bury my daughter. Uh-huh. Uh, they told her her chances of getting that were better. It would be better chances to win the lottery. Oh, boy. Uh, I don't boy. think I'll ever see anything for them in my lifetime. Uh if they ever concede those those diseases, uh, it'll be too late for a payout. <laughs> Boy, but James, I never thought like many had had it. We would never see IHD in our lifetime. Crazy, yeah. Much, because you know, I began you know, to wonder if I I was going to live to see my decision. Boy, uh, boy. But once I. Once I won that decision, I got better. And now I know a lot of that was just anxiety and depression, and, and I was just beat down. Yeah. Right. That's... You know, I still have the heart disease and, and the chloracne, and, and, and I, everything. the neuropathy has bothered me real bad. I've lost the use of my right arm and my right foot. Uh, but I'm still, at the same time, I'm better. I'm better off than when I was going through that battle. Well, yeah. Better you off think psychologically, that? I think. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. It's not just, uh, and uh, let me ask you if this is true. Is it not just that you won the claim, uh, which in and of itself is a huge relief because it is so consuming, so stressful, and as you've heard from the yeah, it can make it even more uh, stressful, but so feeling better isn't some of that, or doesn't some of that come from being able to help these others? It does. I spend a lot of time. I've had great success. I have no idea idea how many wins there have been. Um, and that 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 uh, that's a payoff in itself. And I, and I also think, had VA just given me what I had coming to start with, I never would have been in the game long enough to learn how to prosecute a case and, 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 and get a win. So there, well, there, you know, there's an advantage there. Right. And, you know, it's odd uh, how things turn around because I was talking to a veteran a few years ago and he was telling me about some of the things that happened to him in service, and I told him about some of the things that happened to me. And he said, you know, I am really sorry that happened to you. It should have never happened to you. I said, well, you know, if it hadn't happened to me, there'd be no hadit.com. So, Jerry, who well, knows? Yeah, you know, you're right. You're right, you know, Hubert. I don't know. Uh, means something. I don't know whether you ever saw it or not, T-Bird. Um, you can definitely find it. I got so frustrated one night after a denial that I took every piece of evidence that I had and I and I posted it on hadit.com. <laughs> I thought, well, if it can't do me any good, maybe somebody else can use it. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But well, it, uh, frustration and anger is what fueled all the energy that created hadit.com. Uh, <laughs> Instead of, uh, I tried to use my anger instead of uh, in a destructive way to channel it into energy that I could use to help other veterans not go through this. Well, that's another, so, that's another I, big secret and a big advantage when you learn to do it is turn that anger yeah. into a business-like way of dealing with people. Never get angry and deal with people. Always do it in a business-like manner. Um, and it, it it can never come back to bite you. That is true, and you'll learn more. Sure. And intelligence is the greatest asset in any battle. You can't be a whiner. <laughs> you're never going to win. Right, never. you'll never win. You'll never win if you're a whiner. And uh, 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 Go ahead, Barta, please. Oh, Chibert, uh, I just wanted to mention recently uh, we had, uh, you know, we get uh, postings there that really strike so many chords in me emotionally. Uh, it was a veteran. 
they had finally succeeded. They had been reading as a guest, and uh, they made two interesting points uh, uh, about compensation, and I added a point. They said they were vindicated, finally, because up to that point, they felt like the VA was calling them a liar. And the compensation to our soul when we do win is by far more valuable a lot of times than the monetary value of the claim. And it's heartbreaking to even think that way, but it does take a toll. And uh, this veteran even said that he gathered sometimes even his own claim and evidence. And I knew what You do, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jim, I did the same thing you did on my uh, diabetes claim, Agent Orange death. I already had DIC under 1151. There is no honor in knowing the VA killed my husband and getting that money. I wanted a service-connected death award. I've got two of them now, IHD and DM2. But I was told the claim was impossible in 2003 uh, by uh, my former vet rep, who he didn't have a clue anyhow. And uh, I could have become depressed when he said it, but I knew better. That was the impetus for me to definitely win it and prove him wrong. (laughs) But uh, I went over my evidence for six years until they awarded it every week and sometimes every day, doing what you advise veterans to do today. Look for those holes and gaps. And like Hebert said, you both had analogies about sitting back from it and then going back to it, not in anger, and, you know, you can't be spending the money that you think they owe you yet. You know what I mean? You have to focus on what you're reading. And uh, I used to call them landmines. To me, an SOC can reveal some landmines. Those landmines can be clues in a lot Right. Yeah, the board gave me a clue in the only claim I ever had denied because I was awarded on a different basis for that claim at the regional office, and I didn't contact the board to drop my claim, which was under three issues, but I, I forget how it was. But they gave me a clue in their decision, and that clue paid off. And when I even sent the decision to the regional office, the regional office still didn't um, adhere to what the board had stated. It was a legal fact. I had to get the general counsel to fix that one with the regional office. But still, uh, everything contains clues. Uh, And and anything you have, if it is corroborated, it's worth a million. I mean, in some sense. (laughs) Not really financially, but what I mean is... um, I had an email opinion in two sentences from a former VA neurologist who had treated my husband long ago that corroborated my IMOs from Dr. Bash. And so I, the BDA actually gave that email as much weight as the IMOs because it was all a cooperation. Plus it was a former VA doctor, a neuro, who had treated my husband. Uh, and well, but, but in any event, uh, we think we've got good evidence. We've got to go over it again and again and again. I just did the other day for my claims. They're pending. Uh, I can't see anything else I need. But maybe a couple weeks from now, I might look at it a different way and say, wait a minute, if I do a little bit more legwork, I can, you know, set that one up. You always have to keep your eyes open for that one more piece of evidence. Absolutely. And you know what, James? When you were talking, I'm a, a, a farmer. I used to raise livestock. I lost my diamond riding ring in a pile of manure one day when I was cleaning the barn. How do you find a ring in a great big pile of manure? Uh, you, you look for the manure. <laughs> That's right. You dig for it. And when you find it, it's going to sparkle and it's going to be serendipity. You know what I mean? And you're glad yeah. that you found it because it was there. You're right. Uh, can you find the, the, the uh, straw that broke the camel's back? It, it, you know, it, yes, you can. But it uh, uh, Gerald, we have uh, one minute left or less. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, we can go ahead and uh, show ending here. Uh, sure appreciate you, you coming on, James, and UT Bird there for taking up the slack. And Bird, I'm sure glad to hear you in there. Thank you, Gerald. You too. And I hope we can get you all back on here. And don't forget to come to HadIt.com to help you uh, sort out your claim. Uh, Get a lot of good advice there. And uh, uh, so it's time to sign off here.
And y'all yeah, tune in again that. next week. Uh, go ahead, Mike. See you later, James. Yeah, uh, and Thank you all. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye.